After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeHereNow. Welcome to Living with Reality, a podcast featuring archive teachings and modern conversations with Dr. Robert Svoboda, brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Living with Reality explores Ayurveda and other wisdom traditions of India, which Dr. Svoboda has been studying for nearly 50 years. For more information, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dr. Svoboda. That's D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A. Hello, and welcome to Living with Reality. I'm Paula Crossfield, your host and Dr. Svoboda's media manager. On this episode, Dr. Svoboda tells the stories of Shiva. This took place live online on Mahashivaratri, and you can watch a video of it on YouTube. We hope you enjoy. If you'd like to study with Dr. Swoboda live, he will be teaching a course called Practicing Reality All About the Senses for five weeks starting April 6th. You can join us by going to drswoboda.teachable.com and clicking on Practicing Reality. Enjoy the podcast. Om Shri Ganeshaya Maha Vakratanda Mahakaya Surikoti Samaprabha Nirvigham Kurume Deva Sarvakaryeshu Sarvadam Sarvamangalamangalye Shive Sarvakta Sadike Sharanye Triambake Gauri Narayani Namostate Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevayam Smashane Shvakrida Smarahiba 
स्मरहर पिशाचा सहचरास चिता भस्मालेप शृगपिनुकरोटी परिकर अमंगल्यम शील तबनामखिल तथा स्मृतृण And greetings to you on this auspicious day of Mahashivaratri. Mahashivaratri, Om Namah Shivaya. That verse that I just recited was from the Shiva Mahimna Stotra, the hymn to the greatness of Shiva. verse 24 and here is the translation of it o destroyer of lust the world considers you inauspicious you who play in the smashan at the cremation grounds smeared with ash from funeral pyres wearing a necklace of human skulls with ghosts and vampires for comrades but for those who remember you with devotion o you who bestow boons you are supremely auspicious and the shiva mahamna stotra is one of those very excellent very and not particularly easy to recite it's in difficult sanskrit very excellent hymns to shiva Vimalananda asked me to memorize it um which I did often spending uh, a lot of time back I was uh, back at that time when I visited Mumbai um I would stay in Gorgaon and I would often and I would have to take the suburban train into into Bombay VT um every day to meet Vimalananda and that takes about an hour depending on what train you get and Uh, what's going on on the tracks and uh you'd be surprised even standing up being jostled by a bunch of people how much you can memorize when all you can do being surrounded by a bunch of people is continue to recite verses to yourself and so even though i was not in a smashan per se a cremation ground uh vimalananda like to point out that the entire world is a giant cremation ground everybody is already dead they just don't know it yet everyone is already that as soon as you're born you have a trajectory in your life and inevitably you're going to die and that's what shiva is all about and and this and that's why shiva is is a deity who has this eternal dichotomy to him brahma the creator we know that all he's going to do is create vishnu the preserver we know that occasionally he will slaughter demons but everybody who has faith in him he's going to take care of he will make them miserable he will make their lives difficult so they will remember him more but he will never let go of his devotees he lives for his devotees shiva has always been a lot less easy to categorize because he has these two very separate sides to his nature he is both the universal force of destruction 
But if there is no destruction, then there is no new creation. So he has always been not only Shiva, who is auspicious, that's what that word means, but he is also Rudra. And Rudra means uh, Rudanti, which means to cry, to weep, and Dravanti, to flow. So the flow of tears, the, the, the misery of being separated from those you love, the misery of, of living through old age and disease, and the misery of, com, of contemplating your own death. All of these miseries are part of the reality of Shiva, but also the fact that when you, trans, when you, when you die, to the limitations that you have as an individual, then you are reborn to the less limited life that is the life of, of, of reality, and that is Shiva also. Creation, preservation, and destruction, Brahma, Vishnu, and Mahesh, or Shiva. Rajas is creation, Sattva is preservation, and Shiva is very much Tamas. And of course, as uh, Thomas, um, it, when you when you look at him a, as Rudra, Rudra is a very in the Vedas. Rudra is a storm god, and if you're an agriculturalist, if you are growing crops, storms are not your friend. Rain is your friend. A storm is not your friend because you can have your grain ready to reap in the field, nice and, and ripe, and, and it will feed you for the next year. And if a hailstorm comes through, that will be the end of that entire crop, potentially. So a storm can be extremely destructive, but rain is extremely creative. And without rain, there is not going to be, if you're a farmer, there is not going to be any new crop. So there is this, these two sides to Shiva, and this is reflected in his various names. So he is called Sharva, that is he who, who damages, he who creates pain. Hara, he who steals, he who takes away, who takes away your life. Bhairava, the terrifier. All, and many Bhairavas, including, of course, Kala Bhairava and Mahakala. And Agora, because Gora is the ref reflective of that great terribleness of, of all the things that are terrible in life. And Agora is the Shiva side of things. He who negates those terrible things and brings us, and brings us into to places where is where we can feel that auspicious reality again. And even in the Veda, Rudra was associated with Indra, who is, is the god of, of rain and the god of lightning and, and uh, not of storms per se. Rudra goes a little further, but naturally they have to be associated with one another. And also associated with the moon. And we'll come back to the moon in a moment. So Shiva is 
is isn't is the classical incarnation of this force. Rudra was the Vedic version, and is and Rudra has sort of morphed into Shiva. People do still recite the Rudradhyaya from either the Krishna Yajurveda or the Shukla Yajurveda, but people nowadays are reciting it when they do abhisheka when they when they pour water or milk or yogurt or other items or a fruit juice onto the linga so rudra in the modern world has pretty much been has been transformed into shiva who can still be very violent but is much more on the auspicious side then is Rudra. In the Vedas, Rudra was only given the uchishta, the leftover of the sacrifices. And then there was a transformation, and Shiva started to be given a special place right at the table instead of having to simply be off to the side getting the leftovers. That story we will come to in just a few moments. But first, since we're this, this all of telling these stories is a way of worshiping Shiva, we should consider some of his good names because one way to worship Shiva or any other devata is to list their names. The 108 names of Shiva, the 1,000 names of Shiva. And aside from Shiva, there is Shambhu or Shankara, which can mean, both of those words mean both causing prosperity, and giving peace. And honestly, only where there is peace is there going to be prosperity, really. Prosperity is implies where there, things are nice and calm. So Shiva creates calm. He's also called Bola or Bolenath. means he's extremely innocent. He's, he doesn't suspect bad of anyone. He's simply he 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 relates to people in always in a in a in a positive way unless they try to be clever in which case he does not be feel at all amused about that he's called nataraja or natesha because he's the lord of dance because he he always he has a two-headed drum in his hand a drum made from two human skulls covered with human skin. And he is, that drum represents the, the beating of the heart. And so as long as that drum is sounding, the heart is beating, there is life. Shiva is maintaining that life. He's called Ardha Narishwara because in one form, he is half and his Shakti, Parvati, is half in the same body. Vishvanatha, like the, the, the chief Linga in Banaras, it's called Vishvanatha, Lord of the Universe. He is called Triambaka or Trilochana, which means he has three eyes. But Triambaka can also mean three mothers. Not that he has three mothers because he is neither born or will he ever die. But he is associated with the three mother goddesses or the goddess in her triune aspect of creation, preservation, and destruction. 
He's also known as Nilakanta because his throat is blue. That's a story we'll get to in a moment. Shulapani or Trishuladari. He's holding a uh, trident, a Trishul in his hand. Somasundara or Chandrasekara or Chandrachuda, which means he has a moon, a crescent moon on his forehead. And that story, in fact, we're going to get to right now. And this is, as are, of course, so many of the stories in Indian reality, this is a story involving family dynamics. So there was once a patriarch, and this patriarch was in charge of creating things in the universe. He was sort of like the assistant of Brahma, the creator, and his name was Daksha. And Daksha means Mr. Adept, Mr. Clever Guy, Mr. Is Able to Do Things in an effective and talented way. And he had an opinion of himself that was higher than probably was good for him, higher than it certainly should have been, as became obvious as time went on. Daksha had many, 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 many children, including at least 30 daughters, I think probably more, but uh, not everybody agrees on the exact number. 27 of them, however, were the 27 nakshatras of the zodiac. The Western zodiac has 12 constellations or signs, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, etc. And in India, there are 27 or 28 nakshatras. Ashwini, Barani, Kritika, Rohini, Murgashirsha, etc. And these 27 nakshatras all got married to the moon. Now, all got married to the moon. Why? Because the moon travels through the entire zodiac in the space of one month, one month. And so the moon traveled through and the idea was the moon should be, that's why he, they were his wives, because he was going from one, the house of one wife to the house of the next wife, etc. But it transpires that Chandra was showing favoritism, which is always a bad idea, whether to your children or to any other family members. But especially if you have 27 wives, you should treat them all equally. He, however, loved Rohini the, mo the most. So the story is that in the distant past, the moon was always full and was stationary in the sky in the nakshatra of Rohini. And naturally, of course, the other 26 nakshatras, the moon's other 26 wives, were not very happy about this state of affairs. They complained to their husband, who said, oh, yes, yes, and did nothing. They complained to their father, who warned his son-in-law repeatedly, repeatedly, that there was a problem. 
And the moon ignored him because he was infatuated with Rohini. Until one day, one unfortunate day, Daksha lost his temper and cursed the moon that he would wane and fade away. Now, a curse is a creation of a big karma because it has a lot of energy on uh, behind it. And this was, of course, a big mistake because that didn't please any of the moon's 27 wives, even the ones who were being ignored. They didn't want to get rid of their husband. They just wanted him to pay more attention. So they started making the, the life of their father miserable because they said, what have you done? Now you're going to turn us all into widows. And the moon, his luminescence, day by day, diminished, was diminishing. He was waning. And he was getting scared. And he asked everybody what to do. And everybody said, the only, the only thing that you can possibly do is that you can pray to Shiva. Because as it turns out, Shiva was his brother-in-law. Shiva was married to another one of Daksha's daughters, whose name was Sati. Her story we'll come to in a minute. So here was Chandra, the moon, and he went to his brother-in-law and said, bro-in-law, uh, this is a terrible situation I've got myself into. What exactly am I going to do? And Shiva said, go down and do some penance. Continue doing the penance you've been doing. And at an appropriate moment, when you've done enough penance, I will make sure that the problem is solved. So the moon went down, did penance, and at an appropriate moment, Shiva appeared and said, now I am modifying the curse of Daksha. You will only wane during one fortnight, two weeks out of the month. And once you have waned completely till you have no light left whatsoever, then you will start to wax again until you become full. Then you'll have to wane again, but then you'll wax again, and then you'll wane again, and then you'll wax again, and that will continue. Om Tatastu. And to make sure that this happened, Shiva put the crescent moon on his head. Now, this is a good story. It's also a in a partial explanation of why Shiva has a crescent moon on his head. So this is one, one reason for it. But another reason for it, another reason for Shiva having a crescent moon on his head is because of today. Today is Mahashivaratri, but every month has a Shivaratri. Every month, every lunar month has a Shivaratri. And that is the Chaturdashi, the 14th day of the lunar month of the dark fortnight, the dark Chaturdashi. So the night before the new moon, on the new moon, the sun and moon are 
at the same longitude in the sky. You can't see the moon at all. On Mahashivaratri, you can, at the very beginning of it, barely see the moon, then you can't see the moon. And so the moon represents the mind. And Shiva, because he is so generous and because he is so compassionate, he has agreed to possess a tiny sliver of mind so that he can pay attention to those of us who are trying to catch his attention, like the moon, for example. And if he did not have that sliver of of moon, of mind, he would be in samadhi all the time and he would ignore everybody. But he is so compassionate that he does not do that. Om Namah Shivaya. So, Shiva has now saved the moon. And you have to imagine that Daksha probably didn't like that idea. Because once he had cursed the moon, he probably was feeling kind of egoistic about it. I have cursed the moon. Who are you, O Shiva, to be altering and modifying my curse? But he didn't say anything about it at the time, possibly because he was thinking, I will wait until an appropriate time, and then I will teach Shiva a lesson. Or at least that's what he was thinking. So Shiva was married to Sati, one of the sisters of the 27 nakshatras. Sati had always wanted to marry Shiva. Daksha never liked the idea because Shiva lives in a cremation ground, coats himself with the ash of incinerated bodies, lives with ghosts and other horrible things. And he he doesn't fit into polite society very well. So Daksha was thinking, OMG, OMG, how am I going to show him to all the fancy people in my society? They're going to be shocked that he's married to my daughter. Anyway, they will get married and they will go live off in the Smashan and I'll never have to see them. That was the thought, at least. However, that didn't quite work out that way because one day, undoubtedly, it was because of the law of karma. Shiva and Sati were sitting and Sati got an ethereal uh, invitation that indicated that her father was going to hold a giant Mahayaga a giant sacrifice for the benefit of the entire cosmos. And it was an invitation sent out to all of the members of the family except Sati. So Sati thought to herself, how is it possible that everybody is getting an invitation, but I specifically am not invited? So she concluded, it must have just been some kind of bizarre oversight. So I'm going to go anyway. So she mentioned to her husband, Shiva, that she was planning to go. And her husband said, "Mm, I don't think that's such a good idea. And Sati said, why? And Shiva said, well, I think that probably 
you didn't get an invitation because your dad doesn't like me. And Sati said, oh, of course he likes you. And Shiva said, come on, you're well aware that he doesn't like me. And Sati said, okay, he doesn't like me, but 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 I'm part of the family. How can he not invite me? And Shiva said, well, th- technically speaking, you were part of the family, but now that you've married me, you're part of my family. You're not part of that family anymore, so he doesn't really have to invite you. And then Sati said, well, but he invited the 27 nakshatras, and he invited the moon, and he invited the sun, and he invited everybody else, and he just hasn't invited you and me. And Shiva said, Davy, darling, let's just drop this, and why don't we meditate some more, and then we can have some romance, and then uh, it, everything will pass along, and, and, and they can do their thing, and we'll do our thing. No said Sati, I am going to get to the bottom of this. This ha- there, Something is wrong. I'm, I, I, this, is, this is just not right. Shiva said, please, please just drop it. You, you, everything is fine here. Everything is fine there. Let's not create a problem where there is no problem. No, said Sati, I'm going to go and I'm going to go get to the bottom of this. So Shiva said, Very well. May all go well. I look forward to seeing you back again here very soon. While she was gone, Shiva sat down in front of his duni, his fire, and he decided to keep an eye on her just in case. So Sati goes, and she she appears at the place where the giant sacrificial experience is taking place. And when she gets there, Nobody says hello. Nobody offers her any hospitality. Nobody is nice to her. And this is puzzling and also disturbing. Finally, she catches sight of her father, who, of course, is very busy. He's ordering this and directing that and, and generally being the center of attention. And she goes up to her and says, Father, Pranam, touches his feet, does everything you're supposed to do if you're a dutiful child. And the father looks at her like, OMG, what has the cat drug in? And Sati says, aren't aren't you happy to see me? Uh, Somehow I didn't get an invitation, but I decided that was just an oversight, so I have come anyway. And then Deksha Again, should have kept his, held his tongue. He should have kept quiet if he knew what was good for him. But his ego prevented that from happening. So his ego caused him to speak. And he spoke and he said, what are you doing here? You married, you wanted to marry Shiva. You married Shiva. You're now part of his family, but he's not welcome here. He's not fit for our society. Who is he? He is not a higher up in the Vedic society. He is not getting, he, he is only getting the leftovers of the sacrifices. He is not getting, he doesn't have a special portion for the sacrifice like all these other good looking, well-dressed, handsome gods and goddesses over here. And that's why he wasn't invited. And you're part of his family now. And you just don't belong here. So I 
didn't invite you, so it would not be embarrassing, but, but now it's embarrassing. And for a moment, Sati looked down. She looked at her hands. She looked at her body. <clears throat> and then she looked up. And she said to her father, well, I was completely mistaken in so many ways. I've been so wrong for so long about a lot of things. But the most important thing is I was wrong about you. First of all, I thought you were a real father, but you're not. You're just a progenitor. You're just out turning things out like some sort of machine. And second, you don't seem to understand that my husband may be a storm god, but he also happens to be the supreme reality of the entire cosmos, which means you're a complete ignoramus, an idiot, an imbecile. And you have insulted him, and I am half of him, he is half of me. That means you've insulted me, and I am living in this body that was created from you, which I am not going to do even for one nanosecond longer. So she sat down, she awakened her kundalini immediately and totally, incinerated herself from within, and a giant flame spurted out of her head, and she was dead. And, of course, this was an inauspicious thing to happen because even though Deksha had taken her aside and was whispering to her so none of the other guests would be disturbed, if you come to the party and somebody commits suicide with a giant flame coming out of their head, this is going to cause some talk. So now everybody has turned and looked at Daksha and at the corpse of Sati that is sitting there still smoking slightly. Shiva, meanwhile, of course, is watching in the flames of his duni, of his fire. And he sees that his beloved wife, Sati, has just committed suicide. And he is an irritable character. So he plucks out one hair. Some sources say he plucks out two hairs. Some sources say he takes one hair and cuts it into, breaks it into two and throws one or both pieces on the ground. And either a giant, all powerful being named Virabhadra, Mr. Auspicious Hero, springs up. Either he springs up on his own or possibly Bhadrakali blood-drinking goddess, springs up along with him. And Shiva says, go, destroy the sacrifice, kill Daksha, bring me his head. And Virabhadra, possibly with Bhadrakali, grabs an entire army of ghouls, goblins, vampires, and other ne'er-do-well uh, ethereal beings who were Shiva's devotees, and they rush off they destroy the sacrifice. They, they cause the Vedic gods to flee. 
They kick Pushan in the teeth and break his teeth. They damage some other ones in different ways. They grab hold of Deksha. Virabhadra does this personally. Grabs hold of Deksha and chops his head off. And Deksha is now dead. And the sacrifice is now destroyed. This does not bring Sati back to life, but it does provide great satisfaction to Shiva. This is a story that ha- provides lots of different meth- uh, 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 opportunities for interpretation. In Ayurveda, we use it as an explanation for why certain terrible diseases have appeared in the world, because those diseases were created when the various deities were fleeing and what changes happened in their bodies. Seven of the eight very difficult to treat diseases were generated at the destruction of Daksha's yajna. The eighth one, consumption, was created in the world by that curse of Daksha against his son-in-law, the moon. And we can argue that it was because Daksha did that karma of cursing the moon that Daksha had to have his head chopped off because karma, you have to pay for all the karmas you perform. In any event, the sacrifice, Daksha was one of the progenitors of the cosmos. And because the sacrifice was interrupted, the cosmos started to fall into pieces. So Brahma and Vishnu came and said to Shiva, please resuscitate Daksha so he can finish the sacrifice. And, And you've killed him. You should be happy now. So Shiva said, okay and resuscitated him with the head of a goat. And once Daksha was alive again, Shiva said, I hope you will enjoy your new head. Finish the sacrifice, and then don't let me see you again if you value your new head. So Daksha said something like, and then went off and finished the sacrifice. The myth goes on. We're not going to go along with it, except to say, that Shiva is still completely distraught by the loss of his beautiful and talented wife. Her name was Sati. Sat means true, real. She was the 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 the, the she was real. She was she was the 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 most up until that moment perfect embodiment of Shakti who and and was Shiva's appropriate mate. Now she is dead. And Shiva, who makes everybody else cry, is now crying himself. And he's wandering around the cosmos with her corpse on his back. And he is lamenting. He is grieving. Grief is pouring out of him. But this is causing the cosmos to be very much disturbed and and damaged and and disorganized. And so Vishnu, the preserver of the cosmos, takes his discus, the Sudarshana, the good sight, takes his discus and chops the body of Sati into several pieces. Different sources will tell you a different number of pieces, but 51 is a common number. That's the number of aksharas, the number of 
uh, units in the Sanskrit alphabet. And they fall to earth in different places. Each body part falls to earth at a different place. And they 51-ish major temples of the goddesses of the goddess in India are where the different body parts of Sati fell at this time. And after this, Shiva finally calmed down and he said, fine, I'll just go back and sit in Samadhi now and there I will be. And he might still be in Samadhi today, except for the fact that those same gods who the same the same deities, the devas, who were at Daksha's Yaga and who had to flee, they eventually, after a while, needed to have Shiva give birth to or sire uh, become the father of a son because that son would have to become the leader of the army of the gods, the generalissimo of the gods, for the purpose of killing a demon named Tarakasura. Tarakasura. And so, thanks to the devas, Sati, who has been without a body all this time, we don't know how long, but a while, She's been without a body, but they arrange for her to be born into the world again. And this time, her father is Himavan. And that means the Himalaya, the mountains of the Himalaya embodied, personified, and his wife, Mainavati. And all of these myths can be read on many different levels. It's good to remember, as Vimalananda said, that one way of reading this myth is that Himalaya, that chain of mountains, is the chain of mountains that is the vertebra that make up the spine. And Parvati is the daughter of the spine. That means not just the spinal cord, but the spinal energy. And that means the kundalini energy. So she's the kundalini energy. She's the energy of sati that now has been placed into the spine for safekeeping. She's born and she now is growing up and she hears about Shiva and automatically wants to marry him. And the the parents, of course, feel kind of like Daksha did. It's like, okay, we we naturally, we would like for you to have a better husband who has a nice job in the universe and is getting nice, he he has nice attendance and and he's getting nice, being fed by nice humans who are giving him nice stuff. And that's what we really like. And Parvati says, I don't care about any of that stuff. I want to marry Shiva. And after a while, the parents say, okay, because after all, they know that Shiva is powerful since no one has forgotten what happened to Daksha. 
So they think, eh, all right. And, um, but Shiva, meanwhile, is sitting in Samadhi. So Parvati wants to marry him. Shiva is sitting in Samadhi. He is ignoring everybody. What to do? So Indra, king of the gods, who is getting desperate because this uh, demon Tarakasura is afflicting all the gods, Indra says, don't worry, I will send Kamadeva. And Kamadeva is the, is Eros. He is the love god. And he has a bow made out of sugar cane. And he, he, the, the, the string on the bow is made out of a line of bees. And his, his, his arrow is a flower blossom. Some people say a mango blossom. Some people say something else. And he naturally appears in the spring when all kinds of animals are interested in getting together with one another. So Indra thinks, ha, what I will do is I will make Shiva become interested in romance and then Parvati will show up and then he will be interested. So Shiva's sitting in Samadhi and Indra uh, Kamadeva shows up and all of a sudden spring appears and there's birds singing and there's flowers on the trees and Shiva is notices that something is going on bizarre outside. Parvati is off to one side over here, waiting for her moment, waiting for her cue to come on stage. And Kamadeva sends an arrow that hits Shiva directly in the heart. And Shiva thinks, huh, something is going wrong here. And he opens his eyes and he sees Kamadeva, who he knows perfectly well, and he thinks, I'm sitting in Samadhi. You're disturbing me. This is a bad career choice on your point, on your part. And so he opens his third eye and a beam of giant fire comes out and Kamadeva is completely incinerated. Boom. And Parvati has to go back and she is feeling quite hopeless, also helpless. And Shiva goes back into Samadhi. And then Parvati says, all right, this is not the way to connect to Shiva. I am going to have to do some penance myself. And her mother says, oh, my goodness. Oh, no, no, no. She says, ooh, ma. Do not, oh, don't. Ooh, ma, don't. So that became one of the names of Parvati, ooh, ma. And then Parvati goes off into the jungle, into the forest, and she starts doing penance, and she cuts down her food. She goes from eating standard food to only eating leaves, only eating dry leaves, and then she gives up leaves altogether. And then that uh, create. Then she is known by a new name, a parna. Parna means leaf. Aparna means she's not even going to take leaves. And Shiva starts to notice that some penance is going on over here. And he starts to pay attention to who's doing the penance. And he sees that it's Parvati. He looks into her karmas and notices that it is Sati who has been reborn. And then he thinks, this is great, but I must test her carefully. 
and make sure that this is really what she wants to do. So then they meet and Shiva's in disguise. And then he tries to explain she, that she, he asks her, what are you doing? And Aparna says, I want to marry Shiva. And Shiva in disguise says, oh, that's a bad idea. He's a no good character. He rides around on a moth-eaten bull and he has all kinds of bad companions and don't do it. There's much better people. No. I'm marrying Shiva. Go away. I don't want to hear the... St I. La, 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 la. I can't hear you. I'm not going to pay any attention to you because you are insulting my beloved fiancé to be very soon. And so then Shiva displays himself and says, hi, it's actually me. Let's get married. And then they get married. And then they enter into a honeymoon that lasts for 100 million years, but the gods are still waiting, still waiting for the child to be born. And so finally what they do is they send in the god of fire to disturb the uh, attention of Shiva and Parvati. And then as a result, that child is born. He's the older child of the two sons that Shiva and Parvati have. His name is Kartikeya or Murugan or Skanda or Subramanya. And because the fire god disturbed the honeymoon, Parvati cursed fire always to be enveloped in smoke. So, but the gods are now happy because, of course, there is little Murugan, who is going to grow up to be the, uh, the, the, gen the god's uh, warrior. And eventually Ganesh is also born, and Ganesh is, you possibly have heard his story, one day Parvati, Shiva, Shiva, even after they were married, Shiva periodically would still go off and sit in Samadhi because that's what he does. And he would leave Parvati to uh, manage uh, the house and, and the, the, the bull and the smashan and everything that had to be managed. So one day, Parvati, she was off in Samadhi, and Parvati thought, I believe I'll take a bath. And so she created a child out of the dirt from her skin. And she said, you are my child. I want you to protect the bathroom here while I'm taking a bath, no one can come in. This also has an esoteric meaning. That because Parvati is the Kundalini Shakti and Ganesh represents the earth element and Kundalini is sleeping in the earth element and he's protecting it. And so Ganesh says, absolutely, have a nice bath, don't worry. Meanwhile, Shiva shows up and it's never clear why Shiva cannot figure out when he can figure out everything else in the world, why he can't figure out that Ganesh is Parvati's child. But for some reason, maybe, he doesn't figure it out. So anyway, he shows up and says, get out of the way, whoever you are, you little pipsqueak. I have come to meet my wife. And Ganesh says, I don't know who you are either, but uh, she told me not to let anybody in, so go away. And Shiva said, oh, yeah, who are you? And Ganesh said, yeah, who are you? And Shiva said, oh, yeah? And Ganesh said, yeah. And Shiva said, yeah. 
Ganesh said, yeah. And Shiva then stopped talking and grabbed his trishul and started to attack Ganesh, and Ganesh started to attack Shiva. And Shiva got amused with this for a while, but he is, after all, the god of destruction, and Ganesh was a small boy, like six years old, and it wasn't long before Ganesh had no head. Parvati comes out because she notices what's going on and says, you just killed my son. And she said, what do you mean your son? We only have one son. And Parvati said, no, we have two sons. And she said, when did this happen? And Parvati said, well, you were off in Samadhi ignoring me. And she said, um, um, uh. and Parvati said, well, um, now my second son is dead and I'm really upset and I'm going to destroy the cosmos. And she said, mm, um, uh, okay, hold on, stop. Don't do that just yet. And then they do something and uh, they figure out we need to get a new head. Why they could not put the same head back on the body, that's not too clear to me either. But anyway, they go to find a head and they find a head of an elephant who is conveniently lying somewhere waiting to have his head chopped off. Chop off the head, bring it back, put it on Ganesh's body. Now Ganesh has a head. Shiva does this kind of thing, if you've noticing. He replaced Deksha's head with a goat. He replaces his own son's head with an elephant. So he's very much in the head transplantation business. Ganesh then becomes the well-beloved second child of Shiva and Parvati. And this, of course, is also related to Kundalini Shakti, because if you try to force Kundalini to get awakened, you may destroy the body. Don't do that. Work with Ganesh. He will assist in the whole process, and then everything can happen without obstacles, because that's his job. Vigna Vinayako Jaya Ganesha. So now we have the happy family. Shiva and Parvati and Kartikeya and Ganesha. And they have two houses. They live on Kailash during the summer, and they live in Benares during the winter. Very convenient. And various other things now start to happen. And probably of all the other various things that start to happen, two are most important. So those are the two that we're going to focus on right now. Number one is the Samudra Mantana. And that also has a relation to Kundalini Shakti. It happens when the ocean of milk is churned. And why was this necessary? Because Indra, the king of the gods, who is always getting into trouble somehow, meets the very irritable Rishi Durvasa. Durvasa, who is the brother of the moon and also of Datatreya, so that Durvasa is incredibly irritable, and Durvasa offers Indra a special garland, a mala. And Indra places it on the trunk of his celestial elephant, Airavata. And everything is good, except that the flowers attract bees, and elephants hate bees, and Airavata is annoyed and throws the garland to the ground, and Durvasa sees this and he is incredibly irritable, and he curses Indra and all of the devas, not just Indra, because he's incredibly irritable, this Durvasas, he curses all of the devas to be bereft 
of all their strength, energy, and fortune. They will also become, they will wane. So that now waning is occurring for all of the devas, not just the moon, all of the devas are waning now. And when the devas wane, the asuras become strong. So the asuras conquer the universe and their king, King Bali, who is going to be, uh, uh, he's going to have the entire universe begged from him during the time of the Vamana Avatara, that King Bali gains control of the universe. And now the devas, again, don't know what to do. So they go to Vishnu. What do we do? And Vishnu says, make an alliance with the Asuras and churn the ocean of milk and out will come the nectar and tell the Asuras that they you will share the nectar with them, but I will make sure that they don't get any nectar. Don't worry. So the devas say, okay. So they do, uh, there's a whole big process and there's an uh, avatara Vishnu, the Kurama avatara, who is necessary because here's the tortoise. He's a tortoise, a turtle. And then on top of that is the Mount Mandara. And on top of that is the snake Vasuki. And this also has to do with the turtle that's at the navel and the Kundalini and the churning. And the first thing that comes out is hala hello. And hala hala literally means, hala means to shake or to cause to tremble. Ohala means it is unshakable. So hala hala means the kind of venom, the kind of poison that can shake even the unshakable. So that's some pretty strong poison. Some people say that it came out of the mouth of the snake. Some people say that it came from the ocean of milk, etc., from the internal point of view, it's the same thing. Whatever it was, there was this terrific poison that was so poisonous that it was going to destroy the entire universe. And how's that going to work out? So Shiva volunteers. He says, don't worry. All the rest of you gods can enjoy all the good stuff that comes out. I, I'm interested in poisons because I'm always taking intoxicants all the time. So I'm going to take this poison and I will protect the entire cosmos, and I shall keep it at my throat. Some versions of the story say it was Parvati who stopped and kept the poison from going any further. Some people say it was Shiva himself. In any event, the poison was so strong that it caused his throat to turn blue. And that's why he's called Nilakanta. Once the nectar came out, and there's a whole story behind that, then Vishnu took on the form of Mohini, beautiful woman, and she passed out all of the nectar to all the gods, but not to the Asuras, except to one named Rahu, who got a drop of it, but had his head chopped off and is in two pieces and is in the sky as a graha now. Shiva, meanwhile, was not watching this happen because he was trying to deal with the halahala poison that was making him very, very, it was a strong intoxication and he was having to sit still and manage it. And when he finally came to, 
everything was over. And then he said to Vishnu, gosh, I wasn't able to see the Mohini form. And Vishnu said, are you sure you want to see the Mohini form, Swarupa? And Shiva said, yes. So there are many versions of the story, but anyway, Mohini reappeared. Shiva and Mohini had a thing going on. And as a result, they had a son. And that son is in Kerala, they call him Ayappa. In Tamil Nadu, they call him Ayanar. There's a bunch of stories about him too. So that's the whole mythic cycle that Samudra Mantana. And there's another important, very important myth related to Shiva and why he is so connected to the river Ganga. And that's called the Ganga Avatarana, the bringing down of the Ganga from the celestial regions down to the earth. So there was a, a great sage, a great Muni, whose name was Kapila, and he was meditating. And there was a king named Sagara, and this king was performing a special sacrifice that only kings perform called an Ashwamedha, a horse sacrifice. And when you do this, you let the horse wander for a year and then you make the you make sure the horse comes back to where it started and that shows wherever it has wandered if you're a king that all becomes your territory unless somebody decides to fight in which case you fight and then you decide by trial by combat who actually wins but otherwise you normally do this when you're pretty sure nobody's going to fight so off went the horse and indra that same Indra who's causing trouble stole the horse, left it at Kapila's ashram. The 60,000 sons of Kapila, and this also, 60,000, this relates to the number of nadis in the body. So this, again, is a external but also internal kind of thing. Also Kundalini-related. 60,000 60, boys discovered discover the horse at Kapila's ashram and they all think that they that he had stolen it and they decide to attack him. And as soon as they decide this, even before they can attack him, Kapila thinks this is really tedious. So he opens his eyes and immediately all 60,000 are incinerated completely. And then he takes the ashes and sends them down into hell, into the netherworld. And there they are in an unfortunate condition. And he says, or somebody says, only the waters of the celestial Ganga who, up in heaven, the only way that these 60,000 young whippersnappers are ever going to be uplifted again is if the water of the celestial Ganga comes down and washes them. Because he's thinking, that's not going to happen anytime soon let them enjoy their time down there thinking about what they did. So, this is an unhappy moment for the whole family of King Sagara. Sagara eventually becomes a word that means ocean, possibly because of this. Anyway, the great nephew of these 60,000 boys is named Bhagiratha. And he becomes the king eventually. And he thinks, I should do something nice for my 60,000 great uncles. 
And so he undertakes rigorous penance and makes the celestial Ganga happy. And he says, please, I want you to come down to earth and then go down to the netherworld and take care of my ancestors. And she says, that's a great idea. But if I come down from heaven onto the earth, so again, remember internally also, this is the Kundalini thing happening, then I will destroy the entire earth. And if that happens, eh, that won't be so good. So I don't know. What do you think? And Bhagavad says, oh, I don't know. What do you think? And Ganga says, I'm pretty sure that Shiva is the only being who can withstand me. So Bhagavad says, okay. And then he starts doing severe penance for Shiva. Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. And finally, Shiva says, what is it? And Bhagavad says, I need you to break the force of the fall of the Ganga so that the earth will not be destroyed. So Shiva says, mm, okay. So the Ganga comes down and it lands in Shiva's jata. Jata means dreadlocks, Shiva's matted, matted locks, matted hair. And she descends there. He takes all of the force of that descent, that descent from the celestial world down into the human world. And then she flows down, and the Ganga in the body flows down through the right nostril, flows down through the planes uh, to, and in the, in the world. Uh, she flows, flows down from the Himalaya into, to Haridwar, to Prayaga, where she meets the Yamuna, then to Kashi, and then to Ganga Sagara, where she meets the ocean. And then when she met the ocean, she went down to the netherworld and she flew, fl uh, uh, flowed over the six ashes of the 60,000 boys and they were saved and everybody was happy, including, of course, everybody who bathes in the Ganga and has a good result from doing that. And all those people who uh, visit and live on the Ganga. And therefore, in honor of everything that Bhagirata did to cause Ganga to come down, the source of the Ganga, which is used to be 18 kilometers, now it's further ahead, up from the town of Gangotri, that river is called the Bhagirati, and it only becomes the Ganga after it meets the Alakananda at the city of Deva Prayaga. The last story, well, I shouldn't say that. The second to the last story that I am going to re, um, uh, mention is of the Linga of Light, because that is an indication of how the Linga came to be worshipped as the symbol of Shiva. The word linga actually just means symbol or sign. So this is a sign of Shiva, and it's a sign, it's, it's in many ways, it is a male sign, it's the male organ, uh, but it's also just a sign, and it's a sign of reality, and it is 
it is anything that can act as a sign of that supreme reality. So one day, Brahma and Vishnu were quarreling. Brahma said, I created the world, so I must be God. And Vishnu said, you created the world, but I'm preserving the world. And if you're saying that you must be God, that means you're not really God. And then now they're quarreling about who really is God. And all of a sudden, a giant pillar of light blazed up through the sky as far as they could see up above and as far as they could see down below. And it was extraordinarily brilliant. And it was overpowering and infinite. And so they decided to figure out where it was coming from and what its limitation was. So Vishnu became the boar, Varaha, and he went down into the netherworld because when Vishnu is in the boar incarnation, he goes down under the surface of the ocean to bring up the earth where it has been stolen by the Asura Hiranyaksha. And Brahma, whose vehicle, whose vahana is a goose or a swan, depending on who you talk to, Brahma got onto his vehicle and flew up as high as he could go. And after thousands of years, neither one could find the bottom or the top. So they came back to the starting place. And then Shiva emerged and told them, actually, it is me. And this is my sign. This is my linga. And so ever since, this, the linga, which acts as the axis mundi, the connection of the sky and the earth to one another, has been the sign of Shiva. Now, there is a further variant to this story. Some people say that when Brahma came back, he, as he was, as he was flying, he saw a ketaki, a pandanus or screw pine flower falling. And Brahma said to the flower, what's, what's the origin of this? And the screw pine flower said, I've been falling for thousands of years. I have no idea. And Brahma said, I want you to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to claim that I saw the top and I want you to testify that that's true. And so the screw pine flower, for some reason, we don't know why, said, okay. So then they came down and then they told Vishnu that actually we did see the top and so it's not an infinite. And then Shiva appeared and said, you're lying. And with one fingernail, chopped off the head of Brahma, who had lied. Now, there is another story that Shiva chopped off the head of Brahma when he tried, when he was trying to um, uh, attack his daughter, Saraswati. But anyway, we agree that Shiva did chop off the head of Brahma. And when he did, the head of Brahma got connected to his hand and he had to walk around for thousands of years as a kapalin. Kapalin means 
he who has a skull who always carries a skull. And he became known as Bhikshatana, the, the beggar version of Shiva. Wandered through all the three worlds until he got to Kashi, to Banaras. And he reached, he reached the Tirth, he, he reached the pond known as Kapalamochana. And there the, the skull fell from his hand and he was freed, he was purified, and then he became Bhairava, or so that story says. Anyway, there's so many stories of Shiva, so many, many stories of Shiva. And the story that I would like to end with is one that I learned very early on, almost, well, 46 years ago in September, or maybe maybe it was, in fact, a little later than that. Actually, it was a little later than that. Probably, possibly even Shivaratri, I don't remember. 45 years ago, let's say, Shivaratri-ish, in a small village near the city of Arlandi, which is 21 kilometers outside Pune. There are two Arlandis in Maharashtra, Arlandi Devachi, Arlandi of the gods and goddesses, the devas, and Arlandi Tsorachi, the Arlandi of the thieves. This is Arlandi Devachi. So near Arlandi is a small village, and it's supposed to be one of those places where Kuber, the god of wealth, lives. And there's supposed to be a fantastic treasure nearby. This is a story that I tell in Agora too. And there's supposedly an inscription, a shilalek, carved in stone, which is submerged in the river, that tells you how to perform a human sacrifice in order to get this wealth. Many people have tried. Nothing has ever happened. Once upon a time, there was a king who heard about this inscription and decided to perform a sacrifice. And the only person that he could find who was an appropriate victim was the son of the temple priest, because the priest and his wife were more interested in gold than that boy. Probably they had more than one, and they thought, uh, we need money, we don't need one extra mouth to feed. In any event, at the time of the sacrifice, the boy threw his arms around the linga, just like Markandeya did, and and said, I haven't done anything to deserve to be sacrificed like this. And Shiva was very upset. He showed up in a terrifying form, and he was so terrifying that the priest and the mother and father of the boy all fell dead on the spot, thud. And then Shiva asked the boy, what can I do for you now? I prevented you from being sacrificed. I have killed the king and your parents because they are wicked. What can I do now? And the boy said, please bring them all back to life. And Shiva said, they were just going to kill you a few minutes ago. It's better they just should be spirits. I will make them, I will teach them a good lesson. And the boy said, no. It's because of them that I had darshan, that I had a vision of you. And I am very thankful to them 
because otherwise, who knows, I might never have had a vision of you. So please bring them back to life. I definitely don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. I'm going to focus on you now that I've had vision of you, but I I don't want to have any, any I don't want me to be the cause of them not staying alive anymore. And Shiva was very pleased because the boy was very clever. And this is, of course, a good attitude to have. The attitude of being thankful, the attitude of not being revengeful, and the attitude of always taking shelter, grabbing hold of the linga, especially when things are at their worst, especially when things seem to be the most hopeless. Grab hold of the Shavalinga and hold on to it for dear life and refuse. This is what Markandeya did. His father was given the option. You can have a son who will be live to be very old and will be an idiot, or you can have a son that will be the best in the all possible ways and will die at age 16. So Markandeya's father said, I'd rather have the clever son because he said, well, 16 years, we'll think about it when the time comes. So when the time came near, near, Markandeya's father said to him, look, the God of death is coming from you at age 16. You're going to have to try to avoid that. Grab hold of the Shivalinga. Don't let go. So when the God of death came, Yama, Markandeya grabbed hold of the Shivalinga, didn't let go. And after a while, Shiva, who is Yama, but is a higher form of Yama, came to Yama and said, I am a higher form of you. I know you're supposed to take him, but uh, I'm sorry, you can't. So Yama said, but it's written right here. I'm supposed to take him. Shiva said, I'm your boss, even though we're the same thing. So don't try to tell me my job. I know my job. I know your job too. Go away. So Yama said, yes, boss. And Markandeya then became immortal. So you may not be immortal, or you might, but in any event, grab hold of the Shivalinga. Don't let go. Always have faith. Om Namah Shivaya. During this, Mar- this Mahashivaratri, may Lord Shiva bless us all and cause us always to be focused on that supreme reality. Om Namah Shivaya. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, 
give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.